Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. This week, we're going to look at middle school and high school. And uh, this is about that age from about 12 to 18 or so. And I was, I was trying to make this all a one-part lesson, um, but as I got into it, um, there, were, there were a lot of, this is such a vital age. Uh, what Brother Ryan and Mr. Maris, our, our, our school teachers in the secondary, our youth workers, you parents that have teenagers, um, this is such a vital age because this is where children are turning into adults. They're right there. We call it teenager. Um, they're right there in that in-between phase of life. And, and one of the things is they are beginning to develop adult-level minds. Their, their brains are maturing into adult-level brains. Their bodies are maturing into adult-level bodies. They can start making adult-level decisions along in this age, maybe not at 12, but as they're getting a little bit older. But the problem sometimes is they don't yet have adult-level wisdom at age 13 or 14 or 15. And so you can make some adult-level mistakes that you end up dealing with the rest of your life. And, and it's such a vital age. And I love our teenagers. I love our school. I love our youth group. I love the spirit of our young people. And uh, as, I was, as I was preparing, um, over the last two or three months, I've met with a lot of different families and teenagers and parents and just trying to help in different areas. And as I was preparing the material, it's pretty rare that we would do this. Probably, it's probably been a few years since I've asked Ryan to bring the teens in. But I said, I'd like you to bring the teens in tonight. And uh, I want them to hear what I'm teaching. And if the parents are here, I want the parents to know, and, and the parents and the teens to be on the same page with what we're teaching tonight. But such an important age because somewhere around age 12, things begin to change in their lives. And, and kids begin to change physically. That cute little kid starts turning into some half-child, half-adult, and uh, with pimples and voices change and emotions change. And somewhere along the way, they begin to realize the opposite gender exists and is not completely covered in cooties. And, and, and not only are they changing physically, they're changing mentally and emotionally. And, and those that work with teenagers, parents and teachers, and those that deal with it, uh, they're, they're changing mentally and emotionally. Literally, scientists tell us that in this age range, every, your, the, the brain, the child brain to the adult brain literally is being rewired one by one. And they say that that doesn't happen somewhere till your early 20s, like 23, 24. And so literally, and this is, we say this kind of jokingly, but this is literally true, teenagers during this season are sometimes in some ways dealing with half a brain. Like their brains, the, the wiring, the circuits are being disconnected and reconnected to go from a child, uh, the child level of a, of a brain to, a, um, to an adult brain. And, uh, and, and, and so literally they're dealing with that. Their body chemistry is changing, which can affect moods and emotions. And, and that little six, seven, eight-year-old is very different from a 16, 17, 18-year-old. Not always in a bad way. Sometimes it's a better different, but it's just different. The emotions are different. The, 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 the attitudes are different. The understanding is different. All of those things are different. In addition, in the teen years, they're changing spiritually. It's along this age, and parents, we need to understand this, and those that work with young people need to understand this. It's along this age where they start, they start to start thinking for themselves, what do they believe and why? And what does the Bible teach? And that's why we as authorities need to teach what the Bible teaches and open up lines of communication. If you have a question, talk to me. I've heard a statement before that, and I like it, it says, truth is not afraid of questions. If what we believe is true, if we believe that the Bible has the answers for life, and, well, Dad, why do we do that? Now, young people, you need to be careful that your spirit isn't always just asking questions to push against authority. That's not a, a God-pleasing attitude, but there's nothing wrong with the right spirit of, well, what does the Bible teach about that? Well, I don't understand the Holy Spirit or the Trinity. And they're all of these things that maybe they've sung songs about, they've learned in Sunday school, they might have heard in, uh, in, in Bible class, if they go to the Christian school, all of these things. Now they're starting to think for themselves and trying to figure that stuff out for themselves. 
And so they're changing spiritually. And, and not only that, their eyes begin to open and they realize that everyone that is a leader in their life, in fact, no one that is a leader in their life, is perfect. And that can sometimes be a, a season to process. Wait a second, you taught me to behave that way and I've watched you, you were a hypocrite there, mom or dad or pastor or teacher or youth pastor. You told me not to do that and then I watched, you've told me I need to obey this school rule and then I watched you as a, as a, as a parent or as a pastor or as a staff member not obey that rule. And all of a sudden, they're starting to look at some of the inconsistencies. And by the way, there is no such thing as a perfectly consistent parent. There is no such thing as a perfectly consistent pastor or staff member or leader. And those things, spiritually speaking, can be, become uh, where they, they start comparing what mom and dad say they believe versus what mom and dad actually live. If you're there in Proverbs 23, I want you to keep it uh, open. And we're going to read a few verses together throughout the evening tonight. But Proverbs is a dad writing to his son. Proverbs is Solomon, the wisest king that ever lived. He's gathering, and the word proverb is literally a book of wisdom. And I've told our young people, they've heard me say this, those that go to our Christian school in chapel, uh, that, that, that it would be a good thing to read a proverb a day. I, I was taught when I was their age, a proverb a day keeps the devil away. And, and there are 31 Proverbs. And so whatever the date is on the, on the uh, 11th today, you could read Proverbs 11. Each one takes about five minutes to read. And they're filled with wisdom. We're going to see tonight a ton of wisdom that, that relates to young people and to rearing children and teenagers, a ton of wisdom. But all through, it's a dad talking to his son. He says over and over again, my son, my son, my son, listen to me, my son. Would you, would you hear these principles and would you grow in these principles? So Solomon writing to his son, the whole book has incredible wisdom for, for so many areas of life, but for parenting and kids. But this chapter hits on a ton of stuff. Every week I've given you at least one key word for that age or stage of life and then expanded on that. I want you to read Proverbs 23. And again, if you didn't bring a copy of God's word, get to where you can look on one, pull one out from the pew rack in front of you and follow along tonight. Proverbs 23, let's read verse 26 aloud. Proverbs 23, verse 26, let's read that nice and loud. Ready? Begin. My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. My son... Give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. By the way, that second part is a little bit of a scary proposition for us in leadership. Watch what I do, son, and follow me. If my children develop spiritually to the level that I've developed spiritually, how will they be doing? Son, observe my ways. But what's the first part of that? My son, Steve, he said, give me thine heart. I think this is the key word, and I'm going to expand on it this week and next Wednesday night. The key word for this age group, and young people, I think this is the key word for you, and, and your, is this word, relationships. Relationships. A few key relationships in these years that in many ways will set the direction of your entire life. Now, that doesn't mean if you make mistakes in your teen years that God doesn't have grace and mercy and you can't get victory, but there are consequences and sometimes scars and regrets that we carry with us based on the decisions we made in our teen years regarding these relationships. Do you see that? Solomon saying in verse 26, my son, give me thine heart. Son, I want a deep heart level relationship. I want to know that I have your heart. And when I speak, son, you're listening. And I want you to know, I want us not just on the external, not just how was your day, son? And how's this going? Uh, my son, give me thine heart. I want us to be, and here is the danger. I was talking with a parent just today about this, that when children are little, and we talked about this two weeks ago, when kids are little, it's easy to modify behavior, behavior transformation. I'm sorry, behavior modification. But behavior modification is not the goal in parenting. The goal in parenting is heart transformation. And only God can transform a heart, but he uses us as parents to help guide those hearts. And Solomon here talking to his son, Rehoboam, my son, give me thine heart. I don't just want you to conform on the outside, behavior modification. I don't just want you to look right, talk right, obey my rules for the, for the 18 years you're in my home. I don't just want that. I want to have your heart. 
I want us to connect on a heart level, that relationship. And whatever gets our children's hearts is going to guide them. And sometimes uh, in those teen years, what can get their hearts is, is, is certain things with technology or with, a, with, with substance. Some teenagers have given their hearts to a substance or to a sport or, or to a friend or to a dating relationship. And those things can, we'll, we'll even say that he or she stole my heart. And Solomon says, in these years, son, I, I want you to give me thine heart. I want to give you a few relationships. I think four relationships tonight that we'll look at um, with, with teenagers, with middle school and high school age. Number one, they're, what's, the, what's the vital focus? What's the, what are the key things that will set them on the right path in life? Number one, in the teen years, their relationship with God. That sounds very trite, and of course, salvation is the beginning of that, being a child of God. But look at what Solomon said in verse number 15. Proverbs 23, verse number 15. You following along there? 23, verse 15, the Bible says, My son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice, even mine. Yea, my reign shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long, for surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. What is he saying, son? He says it here. I want you to be in the, don't envy sinners, but be in the fear of the Lord all the day long. And that's an easy thing to do as a young person, to look and say, what am I missing out on? And to look at that television show, and that, that, that movie, and that website, and that YouTube channel, and that and say, I wish I could go and be a part of that. I wish I could try that out. I wonder what that's like. He said, don't envy sinners, but son, be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. What is he saying? As a young person, son, I want you to walk after the ways of God and his word. This relationship with God is vital in the teen years. Solomon, who wrote this, also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. What did he say in that book? He said, remember now thy creator when? In the days of thy, of thy youth. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Parents, leaders, challenge uh, middle school and high school, even elementary school age kids spiritually. Encourage them spiritually. I don't know why this is, but sometimes, even with young people and with, with those that lead them, their parents and others, it feels like we understand their ability to excel in every other area. We see from a young age, man, kids can excel athletically, and, and you'll see kids at six, seven, eight years old in, in year-round travel ball and club teams and individual coaches and prodigies and YouTube videos, and we understand, hey, my six, seven, eight-year-old can learn those skills and excel athletically. You'll see that academically, and you'll see certain parents that put a huge emphasis, I know my son, my daughter can excel academically. You'll see that musically at times. A six, seven, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old where they, they've put a, t and they, they're in weekly lessons and they're putting an emphasis, they're paying for development there. And there's nothing wrong with any of those. Sports, ath academically, athletic. I'm not against kids um, putting an emphasis or families putting an emphasis and developing and paying for development in any of these areas. But you know which area of life sometimes gets neglected in young people's lives is that area of spiritually. And for whatever reason, young people, oh, I can, be, I can work hard and be good at sports, and even their parents, I can, I can excel academically, musically, you can pick other hobbies, other things, but for some reason, there's this disconnect. Well, maybe when they graduate, when they get out of high school, if they go to Christian college, or they, they get out of, maybe when they get to be an adult, then they can really get serious about the things of God. And I want to say, that's a mistake. Remember now, thy creator, in the days of thy youth, we neglect, the, we neglect the spiritual development. Young people, don't make an excuse for yourself that, well, I'll get serious about reading my Bible. I'll get serious about knowing God. I'll get serious about serving God. I'll get serious about those things spiritually growing when I get married maybe or I get out of college, maybe somewhere down the road. But right now, that's not a big part of my life. No, Christ should be that center all the way through. And this is a vital time in the, the, their lives to be developing and growing. May I say underneath a relationship with God, may I challenge you, parents, it, we want to try to develop in young people a personal faith not just cultural Christianity. There are some teenagers in here that their heart for God is real. It's sincere. They really do want to please God. They want to know God. They want to grow in him. I know that's true. And there are also some teenagers in here 
that have very little spiritual desire at all. They're a cultural Christian. They're being brought up in a culture. Their parents put them in the Christian school. Their parents bring them to church. They may become to church. And by the way, some come on their own. They come to church. And, and some come for the right reasons, and others come because it's fun. And I get it, all of us. That, that, I'm not preaching against. I'm just saying the reality is there are some that they are cultural Christians, meaning they're growing up in a Christian culture. But as soon as there are not external forces forcing them to be a part of that external culture, the danger is they will leave that very quickly. That's where we see the statistics of those that grow up in a Christian home or in the church. And when they graduate, crazy statistics that by the third or fourth year of college, huge percentages, like 70, 80% of those grew up their whole life in church, no longer attend church on a regular basis. How does that happen? Somewhere in this age group, we missed developing a real relationship with God. It was a culture they were brought up in, not a relationship they developed. I see some people sitting here. Uh, Terrell is in his 20s, and Dalen and Catalina just got married, and Gabe and Britt. I think all of you grew up in the church. Now all of you in your 20s, and I just looked, I hadn't planned to say this, but all of you sitting on a Wednesday night in church, why are they still here? Somewhere along the way, the cultural Christianity that their parents brought them up in turned into a personal decision. There are plenty of places for a, a young newlywed couple to be on a Wednesday evening. They could be home, they could be doing whatever, and they chose to come to church. How old are you, Dalen? 24, age 24. Mom and dad aren't making you go to church on Wednesday night anymore. Now, 10 years ago, age 14, mom and dad made you go to church on Wednesday night. Right, Catalina? I won't ask you how old you are, but it's probably somewhere around there. 10 years ago, mom and dad made you go to church. But there's coming a time when the culture isn't enough. And parents, we must develop, and we can't force it, but we can encourage it, we can help it, and we must put a focus and an emphasis making sure our children understand that it's not enough to grow up in the culture. It needs to be a personal faith. It's so dangerous to see Christian young people, those that are growing up in the church, just going through the motions for 18 years. And by the way, the, it's more caught than taught. They've got to see it real in our lives. We're not just going through the motions of our cultural Christianity as adults. It's a personal decision, not only personal faith, but the priority of the church, and I'm talking to people that are here on a Wednesday night, but the priority of church and spiritual activities as a family in your teen years, uh, third underneath that service, a selfish life is a miserable life. Encourage, in this age group, middle school and high school, encourage and give opportunities for service. We've talked about this, and Brother Ryan has done many different youth activities through the last five years or so that have a service component to them. We've gone on missions trips, and teenagers from our youth group have gone. We have young people that serve in the music ministry, and some that help at times in the nursery, and in the children's ministry, and on the bus ministry, and all. Why? They need to learn early on. Service is not something just for 30, 40, 50, 60-year-olds. No, they've got to be developing that heart for God and others in these, in these ages right here. The relationship with God. Number two, what do we see in this passage? What do I think is vital in this area of relationships? Not only your relationship with God and young people, may I just say this? If your relationship with God is super surface level or it's not a real passionate, work on that right now. My, my prayer for you is that you will truly fall in love with God as a teenager. Because if not, it'll be very easy to make decisions that will set your lives in a direction that will bring heartache and scar and regret very shortly. Number two, your relationship with parents and siblings. What's vital in these years? Your relationship with God, your relationship with parents and siblings. Would you look at verse number 22? Follow along, Proverbs 22. I'm sorry, 23, verse 22. Proverbs 23, verse 22. Hearken unto thy, talk to me, church, hearken unto thy what? means listen to your dad that begat thee and despise not thy mother when she is old. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Notice this verse 24. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad and she that bear thee shall rejoice. What does this say? Young people, live a life that is honoring to your parents. Listen to your parents. Live a life that brings them joy and not burden. And, and working with young people for the last 20 some years, I've seen hundreds of young people that their parents just rejoice in the decisions that their young person has made. And I've seen hundreds that have sat in my office on other places weeping 
over the decisions that their young person has made. That relationship with family, with parents and siblings. Parents, I'm going to talk to you here for a minute. Those that work with teenagers, this is something you will have to make a priority and fight for. And let me say this. Do not buy into the, no one in here, teens, leaders, do not buy into the cultural lie that once a child hits a certain age or grade, 12th, 13th, 7th, 8th, 9th, that all of a sudden it's supposed to be this division in the home that the, the parents are supposed to hate the kids and the kids are supposed to hate the parents, that there's no relationship. Do not buy into that cultural lie that teens and their parents aren't supposed to be close, are constantly supposed to be fighting, are supposed to live separate lives. The same is true for siblings. Don't tolerate that in your home. Constantly work on a culture of love and communication. That, By the way, where does that lie come from? That lie goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What did Satan try to do? He tried when there was only two people on earth. He tried to divide those two people from their God-given authority. Who was their God-given authority? God. And he tried to get them to break that relationship with their God-given authority. By the way, one of the greatest things that Satan can do to destroy a young person's life is to strain and stress and separate that relationship between them and their God-given authority. If they have a mom in the home or a dad or both or grandparents, whoever that is. Why? Because that is, in this season of their life, that is the primary priority of, 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 of God-given relationship in their lives are those parents or whoever that is that's raising them. And Satan, if he can separate them from that, it's much easier than to get them to make decisions that will destroy their lives, that will bring heartache to the mom that bare her, what, what we just read. And so the attack is constantly on, let me, let me get you to give your heart to someone else, get, get closer to that friend, to that person. And what will happen if we're not careful as your kids start to grow, they get so busy in so many things and we lose the relationship. And they have a great relationship with their teammates on their sports team. And they have a great relationship with their classmates in school. And they have a great relationship with the, with the kids that they text. And they have a great relate. I don't know, it's great, but they have a, an active relationship at least with those that they follow on social media. And they talk to their parents for a minute, for two. How was school? Good. Got homework? Yeah. All right, see you. Talk to you later. And by the way, our family's been there. You get into busy seasons, and you're getting home late at night, and, and I'll, I'll go today. I, I, I left the house, and, and on Wednesdays, I don't go home until church. I'll go a whole day on Wednesday, and I hardly interact with my kids at all. We've all been there, but that shouldn't be the culture. There should be that time that we're connecting. And if your relationship is struggling with your parents, you can guarantee it you are a prime candidate to make a decision that is going to hurt and adversely affect your life spiritually. Every time. Let me give you some practical thoughts on building these relationships with, with parents, with siblings, with family. Regular family meals. That's a lost thing in our society. Our family, we try at least four or five times a week. We sit down to a meal, and, and there's no electronics. There are no devices. It's not rushed. We're not, we're, we're not in front of the TV. There's nothing on. It's our dining room table. We're having a meal together. And it doesn't have to be. It's not a banquet every time. But it's a meal together, and we spend 20, 25, 30 minutes where all we do is talk. Parents, if you're not doing that, figure that out in your schedule and rearrange that to find regular times to reconnect as a family, to hear what happened on the playground, to hear what happened at recess, to tell a story. I've given you the illustration before. We, have, we don't do it too often now, but for a season, we were doing it often where we would say, all right, my, I don't know where my wife came up with it. Tell us your rose and your thorn, meaning tell us the best part of your day and tell us the thorns. Tell us something that, that bugged you today. And now if there was something major or serious that kids knew, you know, if they had some major, major, deep heart level issue, you're not gonna bring that up at dinner, but it could be something like, oh, I got a C on the test, I totally messed that up, or I forgot to turn my homework in, or I got in trouble for talking, or whatever. It, it was something that's not major, we would, and it just opens up conversation. What's your rose and your thorn? What was the biggest blessing of the day? And what was the struggle or something that was kind of a, a pain today? And it lets you hear what's happening in their hearts. Sometimes, we'll, and again, I haven't done it recently, but we'll go around the table and I'll say, talk to me about how God's working in your life. Tell us, what, what's God doing? We often do that after church. On the way home, I'll say to the kids, what did God teach you today in church? What's God doing in your heart today? What am I trying to do? 
Keep those lines of communication open. We have not arrived. We don't have the perfect family. I have a couple of my kids sitting in here right now. They could tell you we don't have the perfect family. But it's an emphasis for me uh, that I'm, and there have been seasons and there will be more seasons. I still have, whatever, 12 years of child rearing at least ahead of me. There, there have been seasons where our relationship was strained with some of our kids, where it wasn't as strong as it should be. And you know what's happened on those times? I fight for it and I come in and I say, you may choose to leave and, and go a totally different direction, but while you're in my home, I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for this relationship. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna do my best that nothing's gonna come and steal what we've tried to invest, regular family meals. I would encourage you, turn off electronics and talk. Go on walks together. My wife is good at that. Let's go on a walk after dinner. Let's go out there. Make memories together. Go to the park. Uh, discretion. Parents, I would say discretion with the use of any earbud or AirPod or anything like that. I know the teens, I'm not their favorite person right now by saying this, but that's all right. You'll, when you get older, you'll appreciate me for this. What is that doing? That's closing them out from the rest of the world. They're not going to communicate with anybody if they've got those in. And what's happening? There's communication happening, but it's not with anything healthy or it's not with the, the relationships around them. They're not communicating with their siblings. They're not communicating with their family. They're not communicating with their parents. Uh, very, very little. We don't have in our home, and again, you'll answer to God for your home. I'm just giving you practical thoughts from our family, stuff we've learned. We don't have kids sitting in every corner on their own devices with their own ear pods in, and we all are living in the same home, but we're not actually the same family. I think the only time that any of our kids that I'm, that, that for the most part in our house, I shouldn't say the only time, but for the most part, is if they're doing homework and our computer's in the living room so that anything that they're on the computer is open for everybody to see. Um, and, and right there by in our family room is the computer. That if they're doing homework, they can put them in and to try to block out some of the noise through the homework. That's 15, 20, 30, 40 minutes um, at the most for the high schoolers. But it's not in a corner on that. And uh, I would say this, other than changing or showering, again, these are not scriptural mandates and commandments. I told you this from the beginning. Some of this is my personal opinion and preference. It's what we've learned either in our family or from talking to hundreds of families through 20 years other than changing and showering, I would say this, parents, there are no need, there's no need for closed doors in your home. It's just not healthy. Closed doors lead to closed hearts. I firmly believe that. If they're constantly in the room with the door closed, Brother Ryan, it's not a whole lot of good stuff going on back there. Yes or no? And Ryan deals with teenagers all the time. We, we meet with teenagers. We meet with their parents. If they're constantly on playing video games by themselves if, and they're online through the video games, they're chatting, they're Instagram, the DM, the this, the that, all of those things. And other than, for again, in our family, our kids are not in their bedroom unless it's time to go to bed or they're changing. We're together as a family. We don't have the perfect family. The story's not been written on our family. I don't know all the decisions my kids are going to make, but I can tell you I'm not going to, do, I'm going to do everything within my power not to let those hearts separate to go another way. Regularly check phones, search histories. They shouldn't have phones in their room, in my opinion, by themselves ever. It's just not wise. And, and, and I could give illustration after illustration after illustration after illustration. We'll talk some more about that next Wednesday night. May I say this, parents and teenagers, if your child is constantly trying to be separated from the family, that's a major warning sign. What is that God? Anytime, any, anytime, any of us, not just teenagers, anytime any of us do not want a close relationship with a God-given authority, there's a problem in the heart. Any of us. Satan operates in the dark. Christ operates in the light, working to have nothing hidden. Again, Adam and Eve, when their heart wasn't right with God, what was their first response? When their heart wasn't right with God in Genesis, what was their first response? Hiding and covering. They hid from their God-given authority, and they covered so he wouldn't see what they had done. They made covers for themselves. Hiding and covering. It's the first thing that happened in the Garden of Eden when, when Satan attacked the first family, the first marriage, the first home. In your life and in mine, we've got to be on guard. If your child's spirit, may I say this, if your child's spirit has significantly changed, and you say, there's, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something different. And what we do sometimes, parents, if we're not careful, we just say, well, there's just a teenager. I guess that's normal. It is not normal if a child's heart is right with God. It is not normal for them to have a terrible attitude 90% of the time with their God-given authorities. That's not normal. 
If your child's spirit has significantly changed over the course of several weeks or several months, it is very likely they are hiding something in their lives. If they prefer and try to always be alone, it's not a good sign. Do not chalk that up to normal behavior. Uh, even something, and it's cold right now, so it's not a problem, but even something uh, as, as simple as they're always wearing a hoodie and they've got the hood up or a long sleeve shirt or a jacket, especially when it's hot. The, you, you can talk to psychologists, therapists, counselors. Often that is a sign, one, they're trying to hide something or hide from someone, or I've, I've dealt with plenty of teenagers that when they always, and I've, I had a sweater on today, I'm not saying if you're, but if it's always, it's 100 degrees out and they wear a hoodie, uh, I, I've, you, you can talk to them. Teenagers will tell you they might be cutting. They're doing things that they don't want people to see. I'm not saying any kid that wears a hoodie. I have a hoodie. But we have dealt, again, in five years, have we dealt with at least a dozen teenagers that have had to get victory over cutting. And, and, and they'll tell you that I was always wearing a hoodie. I always had long sleeves on. I was trying to hide from something. I was hiding from a parent. I was hiding something. And, and just be wise, be on guard for those things. Number three, I said, number one, their relationship with God. Number two, their relationship with parents and siblings. That is the most important human relationship at this age. Teenager, if you have a strained relationship with your parents, don't let it get worse. Work on it. Fix it. I can't wait to get out of my house. You don't have a perfect parent. None of you do. But if that's your spirit, what that means is something's wrong there and you are a prime candidate for Satan to attack and hurt and cause you to make decisions that will hurt you. Number three, number three, their relationship with their peers. Relationship with their peers. Notice verse number six. Proverbs 23, verse six. What does it say? The Bible says, eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. That means don't, don't, don't eat, don't spend time with somebody that does wrong. Neither desire thou his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. The morsel which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up and lose thy sweet words. What does he say? Be careful about the influences you allow into your life. You allow wrong influences in your life. It's going to come out in wrong actions. Verse number 20. The Bible says, Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. What is he telling his son? Son, be careful who you hang out with because it will lead you to good paths or wrong paths. What does Solomon tell his son in Proverbs chapter number 13, verse number 20? What does Solomon tell his son? He that walketh with wise men shall be what, church? But a companion of fools shall be? Show me your friends, young person, and I'll show you your future. Show me your influences, I'll show you your future. Every time. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Lee, you're a big reader and, and leadership quotes. What's that quote? There's something, uh, in 10 years from now, you'll be the sum total of, of like the books that you read and the people you spend time with, something along those lines, right? You know, and do you know the exact quote? I'll put you on the spot probably. That's the one I was looking for. That was way better than mine. Thank you, Lee. You're the... You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. By the way, that's not just for teenagers. That's for all of us. How are our relationships? Are they drawing us closer to God or farther away from God? Are they challenging us to be more like him? And this one is probably the biggest danger for young people because they spend way more time with their peers than they do with their parents. Just by nature, they're in school together for six hours a day. And then if they have sports, they're together with peers for eight, nine, ten, or, or extracurricular activities of some sort. They're with peers eight, nine, ten hours a day. They're not with parents eight, nine, ten hours a day. And, and all of these are vital, but this one is super vital because in a few hours, a wrong friend can tear down what it took years for a parent to build. Let me say that again. In a few hours, a wrong friend can tear down what it took years for a parent to build. So their relationship with their peers, friendship relationships, I'm gonna give you two relationships with peers. One, friendship relationships. Again, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If you wanna jot down and, and look at it later, 2 Samuel 13. You remember uh, Amnon? 
Amnon, he was a young person. He saw, he saw a girl that he thought was pretty. And the Bible says he had some thoughts he shouldn't have had. And the Bible says he wanted to do some things with her that he knew he shouldn't do, said he couldn't bring himself to do it. And then there's a phrase. It said, but Amnon had a friend. And he ended up, he ended up destroying his life. He ended up destroying Tamar's life. He ended up destroying other relatives' lives. He ended up breaking, putting explosions in his family, straining his relationship with his dad, King David. He ended up doing all of these things. Why? Because he had a friend that got him to do something he never would have done on his own. Parents, know who your kids' friends are. Again, I, they can hide stuff they can do, and, and, and they do. But I would do everything I can to be, be on guard and understand and be checking and know with email and with technology and devices and texting and the apps that they download that, and the, the extra Instagram account that you don't know about that they, that, they, that they start and the fake app that looks like a calculator, but it's an app where they communicate. I would, I would every now and again take your phone, bring it to somebody at the school and say, check my kid's phone out. What do I need to know about on here if, you, if you're not really tech savvy? Um, or one of the, again, I'm not trying to give us a bunch of technology work, but figure that out. Find, be checking on those things and figuring out who are they actually talking to? What are they actually doing? What's going on there? And young people guarding those relationships, how are they influencing you? Uh, who your child chooses as their friends is one of the greatest indicators of their heart condition. Let me say that again. Who your child chooses as their, their friends is one of the greatest indicators of their heart condition. You know what happens, Brother Ryan? Sometimes we deal with teenagers and parents. And Brother Ryan's not the only one. Kevin in school and, and others in our school and Sammy dealing in with... You know what happens? Is often it could never be my Johnny or my Susie. And it's, well, they just got around all these bad friends. Do you know why they got around all of these bad friends? Because they have the same heart condition that all of those bad friends have. It's amazing how young people attract to what they are. You go to a teen camp, you go to a youth conference where there's 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 teenagers there. We do it, we'll go to tournaments. You know what will happen very quickly? The young person in our youth group that we know is spiritually struggling, somehow they have like a radar and they end up with a young person in another youth group that's spiritually struggling. And the young person in our youth group that's on fire for God and wants to do what's right, ends up somehow talking to like the sweetest, most godly young person from the other youth group. It's amazing, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Don't always justify and make excuses for Johnny and Susie. It could never be my son or my daughter. Absolutely, the Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Your son and your daughter have the exact same sin nature that you do, and my sons and my daughters have the exact same sin nature that I do, and my wife does. It, my sons and my daughters could make wrong decisions and do make wrong decisions and could be the wrong friend. Don't get this idea, well, not, my, my son would never do that. She, no, she would never lie to me. Of course she would. Have you ever lied? Is there anybody in here that's never lied? We've all lied. So why do we think that our kid could never lie? We, we fool ourselves. And, and if, if, you're, if you're constantly concerned that your son or daughter chooses the child that is the bad influence, it is a great indicator that your child is right on board with that influence. Birds of a feather flock together. Sometimes uh, we will work with them and they'll be excused by their parents where they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. I get that good kids can have bad influences at times, but if they consistently have bad influences, probably it's because they are on a wrong path. Our children, my kids have heard me say this to them, and they're, again, they're not perfect, but our children should be friendly to everyone. They should only be close friends with a few that are the right ones. Be friendly with everybody. You're not better than anyone else. You, 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 you should be friend, friendly, and you can say friends with everybody, but you should not be, as Lee said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Those five people you spend the most time with, are they doing what's right? Are they surfing what's right on the web? Are they, do they have the right attitude toward their parents? Do they have the right attitude toward their God-given authorities? If they don't, guess what? If you don't already have that heart, you very soon will. Guard those, those friendship relationships. Then secondly, with relationships with peers, I said friendship relationships. Secondly, dating relationships. Notice what he says in Proverbs 23, verse 27. He's talking to his son. 
For a whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lieth in wait as for a prey, and increaseth the transgressors among men. What did he say? Son, be careful getting involved in a wrong relationship with a young lady. It could destroy your life. Be on guard against it. Watch out for it. Son, be aware of the power of a dating relationship in your life. Dating, and again, I'm giving opinion and preference here with some biblical practical, but some of this stuff is my opinion from experience. Dating is a dangerous thing during the middle school and high school years, especially if we teach and allow and follow the world's definition of dating. How does the world date? It's temporary. They've got apps, swipe left, swipe right. Oh, I'll go, yeah, meet up with that person tonight for one night, I'll do this, I'll go out there. Oh, and there is no thought given to it. Oh, she's pretty, oh, he's, he's, he's cute. Oh, let me try that, oh, let me go there. The world's definition is whatever, it's, it's temporary, and, and let me take a test drive with that one. One girl to the next, one guy to the next. It's all about fun. Does this person make me laugh? And, and I'm, again, I'm not saying you shouldn't date somebody that you enjoy being around, but it's all about the external. Is, is he cute? Is he handsome? Is, is she pretty? What are my friends going to think if I'm with this person? It's all about the external, the beauty. Uh, the world's dating is physical first. It's all selfish. What do I get out of this relationship? And there are apps for all of this. How should the Christian date? And some people use the word court, whatever you want to use, this idea of guys and girls beginning relationships together. What's the purpose of a Christian dating? You know what the purpose is? The purpose is to get to know someone well enough to find out, would that person be a good candidate for me to marry and spend the rest of my life with? That's the purpose. And that's why for me, I don't encourage high school, middle school, high school dating. Now you say, Pastor Ryan, my kids have had crushes on people before. I had a crush. My, my wife and I had a crush on my wife first time when she was in sixth grade. I was in seventh grade. I understand in middle school and high school, again, as, as things are changing in the mind and in the body, there are some natural attractions. That's God-given. That I understand that. And there can be some, in my opinion, there can be some friendly relationships. And there might even be, I kind of like that guy. I like that girl. But it shouldn't be. It should, it should be, if that is the case, they have fun together as friends, and we've all seen this, it's not two people sitting off in the corner. And they're constantly, the only person they talk to is that person. Why? Because they're setting themselves up for heartache and heartbreak. If they're constantly texting, and that's not healthy at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, to constantly be uh, texting and on the phone and every, every detail. How should a Christian date? It's not just temporary. It's looking for a permanent mate. It's deeper than the external. It's not physical first. It's spiritual first. It's not, is this what I like? It's do my godly leaders approve? It's not selfish. What can I get out of the relationship? It's selfless. And I believe, biblically speaking, as we look at men and women, guys, and girls coming together. The purpose, what we would call dating, is to get to know someone well enough to find out if they would be a good person to possibly marry. Now let's just go down here. Makani, what grade are you in? Eighth grade. Are you ready to get married anytime soon, Makani? Titus, what grade are you in? You ready to get married anytime soon? Nate, you ready? You got, got the job, the house, the savings account, the car. You ready to get married, Nate? Derek, anytime soon? So guess what? There shouldn't be any serious why, because if you begin to develop an adult-level relationship when you're not ready for adult-level consequences, that, and that we just had an activity where guys could ask girls and go on a date, That's, that was a fun activity. I'm not saying that they can't ever spend time together. I'm talking about you know, where they're developing deep, heart-level relationships. Oh, I love you. You're the only one for me. And they're saying this in eighth grade. All that's happening there is you're setting yourself up for heartache. If you get serious dating at this age, one of three things will happen. One, because no relationship can stay stagnant, especially when you're dating. It's only going to get more and more serious. One of three things will happen. You'll end up getting too serious too fast and taking liberties you shouldn't take and ending up with scars that you wish you wouldn't have had. Or two, you will end up rushing and getting married really quick before you were ready because you allowed it to go too fast and so or three what happens the vast majority of the time is after you invested all this emotional energy you end up breaking up a month or three or six or nine or a year later and now you've got all you have this adult level pain in this 15 16 17 year old heart 
If you have a crush on somebody, if you like somebody, again, I, I took my wife to banquets in high school. I had a crush. I liked her, all of that. But it, we, we, weren't, we didn't have technology where we could have been, you know, communicating 18 hours a day. You have a crush, whatever. If you're, but keep your parents involved. Are your parents on board with it? Are they okay with it? If they're not, that's a, that's a warning sign. Satan's getting you to do something away from your God-given authorities. And you have fun with another guy, but have fun with everybody. It doesn't need to be a guy and a girl always on their own. And so uh, d- with dating, and, and, uh, and, and again, the fact that if, if biblically speaking, the purpose is to get to know someone well enough to find out if they would be a good person to possibly marry, it doesn't make much sense to get too serious with anybody during middle school or high school. And so be aware of that. Again, feelings are natural, crushes, I get it, but be wise. Do not encourage parents consistent communication or exclusivity in a relationship. 90 plus percent of high school dating relationships end in heartache, hurt emotions, and sometimes regrets that last for years. If your parents, let me say this teens, and I'm almost done, I gotta finish up. If your parents and godly authorities aren't heavily involved in any relationship you have during high school, it's a great chance it's not a healthy relationship. If your parents and godly authorities are not involved, heavily involved in any relationship that you have in high school, there's a great chance that's not a healthy relationship. You know what I found with my own life, my wife, with our kids? When they're trying to hide something about a relationship, they know in their hearts that this is a relationship that is not good for them. Why are they trying to hide it? Number four, last one, in their teen years, relationship with money. I won't read it. You can go back and read verses one through five. For the sake of time, I won't read that. He, t- he gives his son some, some advice. In verse four, he says, son, labor not to be rich. The goal is not to get rich. Now, if God blesses you, use it for his glory. But the whole point of your life is not if I'm rich, I'm successful. That's not the goal. He says in verse five, he says, don't, don't make that your purpose there. And parents, I have, I have uh, uh, two more pages of notes. I need to finish in two minutes here. Let me just say this. I'll go quick if you want to take notes. Parents, now is the time for teens to begin in teens to develop a healthy and biblical mindset toward work, toward money, toward material possessions. A few key truths that every teen should be learning regarding money in their teen years. Number one, working or earning. Working. If a man should not work, he should not eat. If a teen should not work, he, should, he or she should not be given everything they desire. In our home, again, you do what you want to do. In our home, since seventh grade, I think, every one of our kids have had to pay for every one of their youth conferences, their teen camps. Why? If they work for it, if they save for it, they're going to enjoy it more. They're going to get more out of it. It's going to mean more. Um, and, and it saves me money. So that's another good reason. Teens can buy some of their clothes. Again, some of this stuff, teens are really glad I'm telling you, you guys this. They can buy some of their clothes, their shoes, their cleats, their other extras. Turning 14 doesn't entitle them to everything they ever wanted. Uh, when, when, when kids are younger, they can do that. They'll appreciate it more. Help them get a job or, or begin finding ways to earn money. I, in my opinion, a teen's first w- start time to earn money should not be at age 18 or later. And uh, number two, not only how to work, they should be learning how to give. Young people should be learning at this age contentment, not covetousness. If they're earning money, and they should be, the first priority should be giving. Are they giving to the Lord, giving toward missions, generous to others? I mentioned last week, teens, I was praising you guys about how generous you were to one of your classmates, some of you upperclassmen last Wednesday. That, was, that, that, that thrilled my heart that you took up your own money and said, let's be a blessing to someone else. Teens should be learning that. Learning how to give. Giving their first fruits back to God. Number three, not only give, but save. In the last six months, our two oldest have purchased vehicles. They paid for them both themselves. Now, we've helped with some stuff here and there, but there's no free ride. We helped a little. We helped with the insurance, but they pay for their own gas. And guess what? It's amazing. This is a magical thing. Parents, if you haven't figured this out, when te- or if you don't have teens yet, pack this one away. If they say, Dad, I want this. You really want that, son? Yeah. How much is it? 30 bucks. You have 30 bucks in your, your bank account? Yeah, I do. Okay, we'll go get the 30. I don't want it that much. It's amazing how unimportant certain things are when it's their money and not yours. And I'm not saying you don't ever do anything. We do stuff for our kids, but, but, but they should be, uh, even if I had the money in, sitting in my account, I wouldn't purchase my kid's first vehicle. If you do, you can. I, again, that's not biblical. That's just for me. 
And some of that's a little different. I don't know if this is right or wrong, but it's a little different with a daughter than it is a son. Titus can testify to that. He lets us know. He, for some reason, he had to pay for his own driver's training. And Ashton, we paid for hers. He said, why is that, Dad? I said, I don't know. Just, I don't have the money right now. And you're, you're a boy, so you, you made more money in your sophomore year than Ashton did. Go pay for your own. No, I don't. And then when he found that out, he wanted to get the cheap. He went on Google to find out the cheapest driver's training in all of Orange County. He was going to have some guy out of his garage in Fountain Valley, you know, teach him something. I said, nope, you're going with this one that's highly rated. Dad, that's $200 more. I don't care. You're, you're doing it. So, but, so it's, again, it, it is what it is, but teach them to budget and save for big purchases, saving for college. You can do what you want to do. For us, we're not going to be paying for all of college for any of our kids. Now, we'll help them with some things, but they know that. So they begin saving early. We'll help where we can, but we want them invested into their college. We want them invested into their vehicle. It's amazing how my, my kids will put their feet all up in my vehicle. They'll eat all up in my vehicle. They'll drink all up in my vehicle. But now that they both have bought their own vehicle, it's amazing when I get in how much more respect there is for the one they paid for that was a fraction of what mine cost, but it doesn't matter anymore. What's happening? Teach them to save for things for themselves. They'll, they'll appreciate it more. I, I want them, my, my kid is much less, le, much, much less likely to just coast through college and go through the motions if they're working hard for it. And Ashley last summer worked two jobs. She's working part-time during this semester. But you can do what your parenting philosophy is, but no matter how you handle that, teach your kids to save. So their relationship with money, I told you learning to work or earn money, give, save, and then lastly, a spend. And that should be last after they've given and saved. And again, they'll think twice about spending when these are the priorities, limiting impulse purchases. Next week, maybe the one that is affecting teens in the deepest, most profound, and most widespread ways, we're gonna look at teenagers and the relationship with technology. There's probably not a week goes by in my pastorate in the last nine months that I've not had a family, a parent, a teenager, a child, somebody talk to me, a husband and a wife, not even kids, married couples, talk to me about the devastating effects of technology in their relationships, in their families, in their lives. I was gonna try to throw that one in, I'm already late, so I'm gonna give a whole, a whole Wednesday night next week, I'm gonna try to give you some resources next week on some things, but the teenagers that are sitting here and some that are sitting back there, there is so much potential in every one of these lives. It's why we invest so much into having a Christian school and into having a youth group and into having activities, why? Because these teenagers, God has amazing plans for them. But young people, parents, right now, that word, relationships. Young people, how are your relationships with God? How's your relationship with God? Is it real or are you just a cultural Christian? Is there any passion or spiritual desire? How's your relationship with your parents and your family? Don't buy into the lie that you're supposed to hate the people that are closest to you. That's a lie from Satan and it'll destroy your life. How's your relationship with peers, friendships, and dating relationships? And then just practically that relationship with money, training in these years to work. They shouldn't be given a free ride to give, to save, to spend. By the way, you said I don't have any teenagers. There are a ton of principles that we should be teaching them that we need to be living ourselves. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.